0: Supporting human conditions, not free propaganda and politicians Cause they own my special that fund their campaign
1: Welcome to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Today in the Project Censored Show, author Adam Bessie and illustrator Pete Glanting join the program to discuss their forthcoming book, Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey. This graphic memoir looks at this unique historical moment of the COVID-19 pandemic as a catalyst to explore the existing inequalities and student struggles that plague the public education system, one already in crisis. This work shows how despite these challenges, teachers work tirelessly to create a more equitable educational system by responding to mental health issues and student needs. Going remote also tells the personal story of Bessie's cancer diagnosis and treatment. Today for the hour, I speak with Adam Bessie and Pete Glanting, stay with us. Welcome to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Today on the program, we look at a forthcoming book published by the Censored Press and Seven Stories Press, Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey. We are honored to be joined today by the author and illustrator, of this book, Going Remote, we are joined by Professor Adam Bessey and also by Peter Glanting. Peter Glanting is an illustrator and product designer. Peter holds a BA in English from the University of California, Davis, and an MFA in comics from the California College of the Arts. He lives and works in Portland, Oregon. Pete Glanting, welcome to the Project Censored show.
2: Thanks, Mickey. Great to be here.
1: And also, friend and colleague, Professor Adam Bessie. He is a community college English professor in the San Francisco Bay Area. writes comics, which have been published in many national outlets, including The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The Boston Globe, and Truthout. He is author of the graphic memoir, Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey, which is illustrated by Pete Glanting. Adam Bessie also appears in the BBC Scotland documentary, Long Live My Happy Head, which will be appearing at the San Francisco Frameline Film Festival on June 19th in the San Francisco Bay Area. Adam Bessie, welcome back to the Project Censored show. Thanks
3: for having us, Mickey. Really excited to be here.
1: Well, Adam and Pete, again, I think we have a nice past of working together on various projects, and we have featured your work in the annual Project Censored books. But as fate and luck would have it, The Stars Aligned and The Censored Press, along with Seven Stories, we were able to work with you both on a forthcoming book, Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey. This book, however, will not be out officially until very early next year, but it is incredibly timely. Let's just start from the beginning. How did you two come together to work on this project, Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey? Adam Bessie, let's start with you.
3: I would say that this started right before the pandemic. Now Pete and I had worked together on some other things and I had not planned to do this work or this book at all. It just kind of fell in our laps as it were. So I'll start from the very beginning which is February 2020. I teach composition, critical thinking in community college and one of my favorite classes science fiction and fantasy. So in my sci-fi fantasy class our first unit is called the end of the world as we know it, the literature of the apocalypse. I'm not making this up. Now, at that point in time, COVID just felt like it was very distant. We weren't wearing masks. We weren't all, at least for me, particularly concerned. And the choice of this unit had nothing at all to do with the impending crisis. Although when I look at the things that I was choosing to teach, it seemed like I was on some wavelength. So in the second chapter of the book, called Our Future Inside, I focus on one of those days right before the pandemic, where I'm teaching a story from 1909 by E.M. Forrester. E.M. Forrester, who did Passage to India, if you ever were forced to read that in school. He wrote another piece, a short story you probably weren't forced to read, called The Machine Stops. And this story is remarkable because back in 1909, he visualized a world in which everyone lives in their own little private cubicle and is connected to each other only by video screens. This is a couple weeks before that became our actual reality. And so that reality, that conflict between I'm in this science fiction space in my class where we are talking about the end of the world and then COVID and being this sort of digital exile that within the course of a couple days, we are now from this in-person experience to literally being inside of the story the machine stops. Each of us in our own little private centers was the immediate motivation that I said, I need to make something about this. I had some kind of vague ideas, but I knew that this moment was critical. This was a pivotal moment in education's history. This was a moment of crisis, and that crisis was going to be an opportunity, an opportunity to either resist trends that have been accumulating over generations, trends towards increasing educational standardization, increasing technicalization, increasing power power farther away from the classroom and in administration, numerous concerning trends, including also racial segregation. I could go on and I said, this could be a moment that teachers and students and families could really take this great disruption and transform things into a more democratic institution from the grassroots or This moment could be much in the same way of the shock doctrine with Naomi Klein. This could be a moment that could be exploited or seized by corporate and privatized forces to make the classroom more atomized, more remote, and much more like the dystopian vision of the machine stops. And so the impetus or inspiration actually first, just for a short essay, I had no plans for a book. And that short essay was in... Project Censored, the 2021 edition. Is that right, Mickey? It is. There was no book there yet. It was just, I wanted to get on the record, living history that was produced by myself, a teacher. And so we have a frontline eyewitness of what's going on and the work, which you'll be able to see, it's called Going Remote, Flattening the Curriculum. You'll be able to see on the Project Censored website. And so that work, was a call to action for those of us involved, teachers at every level, especially those in college, parents, students, to say, hey, this is the moment that we can actually transform the educational system. And that was the call that we put out. The book doesn't come till much later. Pete, what do you have to say?
2: Yeah, I think we really, once we talked about the, the kernel of the idea I think we just kind of riff on it and in our, our traditional illustrator author conversations we eventually came up with with something that was viable at. You might be asking some of you that are listening like okay this is comics
3: why produce this work in comics. Already at this point in time maybe in June of 2020 there was libraries full of information and opinions about What would happen when we all returned on ground? What would be the long-term impact? And comics, to me, felt like a way that we could break through that noise. Also, my own background is I have been writing in comics form now for well over a decade, starting in 2012 with the Disaster Capitalism curriculum, which was with Dan Archer. And you'll be able to find that at my website, along with all of my other comics. My website is adambessie.com. All my work is for free on adambessie.com. B-E-S-S-I-E, like Bessie Smith or Bessie the Cow. And so that 2012 piece, Disaster Capitalism Curriculum, was my effort in moving into comics. I always loved comics, like reading X-Men, all that stuff growing up. And then later, Mouse by Art Spiegelman, the Holocaust memoir, which has been now once again banned in Tennessee. And so out of the tradition of the works like Mouse and Joe Sacco's work, Palestine, and other of these nonfiction work, I said, and this is again back in 2012, I said, you know, if I'm writing only essays in text, there's a small group of people reading them. It's not particularly accessible to the wide number of folks that I want reading it and involved in it. And I knew I just was excited about writing comics. and I knew I wanted to and got fortunate to meet a collaborator. And from there, for the last decade, I've been writing essays that traditionally I would have written as text in comics form. And I found that that really broadens the number of folks that can access and be involved in the conversations. And so I knew immediately when the pandemic started that I would be writing a comic about this that would try to engage as many folks as possible to mobilize and to try to find ways to push back against this much expected disaster capitalism curriculum that I knew was going to happen in that moment.
1: Well, indeed. And Adam Bessie, earlier you were paraphrasing the neoliberal Rahm Emanuel, never letting a good crisis go to waste. But in this case, you're really referring pedagogically in terms of curricular development. You teach courses on graphic novels, graphic nonfiction. And of course, the piece that you and Pete Glanting, Going Remote, is a piece of graphic journalism in a way that's gonzo in terms of its memoir nature, its extraordinary critique of the establishment. You're weaving together many different layers of critiques in the work, and the illustrations are phenomenal. Well, I apologize, of course, because one of the things we can't do in the radio is actually see Pete Glanting's fantastic imagery and illustrations. But we will be linking that work on the website at projectcensor.org. You can see it at Adam Bessie's website. And Pete Glanting, where can people see and find your work? So my illustration website is Peter Glanting. Draws. It's my name followed
2: by Draws. That's P-E-T-E-R-G-L-A-N as in Nancy. T-I-N as in Nancy. G-Draws.com.
1: I would encourage our listeners to check out these sites online. I also need to pause momentarily to remind you that you're tuned to the Project Censored Show on Pacific Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. I am speaking right now with author and professor Adam Bessie, as well as artist and illustrator Pete Glanting. We are talking today in the Project Censored show about their forthcoming graphic nonfiction work. It's titled Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey. We will continue our conversation after this brief musical break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. Today in the program, we are talking about a forthcoming book called Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey that will be out on the Censored Press and Seven Stories Press early next year. But there's a lot of buzz around this because some segments of this book have already appeared online. Certainly, the guests we have on the show today have a lot of other work that they've done similarly available online. We gave the websites before the break. We'll do that again. Just want to remind folks, again, we're talking about a forthcoming book, Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey. With Pete Glanting's powerful illustrations and author Adam Bessie, an English professor and graphic essayist, they used unique historical moment of COVID-19 pandemic as a catalyst to explore the existing inequalities and student struggles that plague the public education system. This graphic memoir chronicles the reverberations from the onset of the pandemic in 2020 when students and educators left their physical classrooms for remote learning. And Bessie, who is a professor at a community college, shows how that despite these challenges, teachers work tirelessly to create a more equitable educational system by responding to mental health issues and student needs. Now, if that's not enough, on the backdrop from the Black Lives Matter protests to feeling distressed emails from students, to considering the future of his own career, Going Remote tells a personal story of Bessie's cancer diagnosis and treatment during the pandemic. So a fusion of memoir, meditation, and scholarship, Going Remote is a powerful account of a crisis moment in educational history demonstrating both personal and societal changes. And you'll see riffing going on here in our conversation as well as this book from Octavia Butler, Neil Postman, Duron Lanier, Diane Ravitch, and others. And, of course, it is illustrated by the amazing Pete Glanting. Pete Glanting is an illustrator and product designer. He holds a B.A. in English from the University of California, Davis, an M.F.A. in Comics from California College of the Arts. And, Pete, let's come to you here. And I know, Adam, we're going to get into talking about some of the more educational aspects and elements, as well as personal health issues and another documentary film that you'll be in here soon. But Pete Glanding, let's really talk about the nature of comics, the power of comics, and the way in which you're able to deliver a message and, and how you work with Adam's words. And you, you put these images and illustrations in a very powerful way to these words. Could you talk a little bit about the power of comics and your relationship working with Adam and going remote?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Adam touched on this earlier, that comics really have a level of accessibility that TV and text just don't have either by themselves. You think back to just post-World War II, the primary way to disseminate media was was actually comics that got a little curtailed by certain events. There was a comics code, there was the congressional hearings, so that really got stomped down for quite some time. That's changing a bit now, but comics have a low bar for entry as far as making them and, and for reading them. So they're very open and uh, welcoming to a lot of folks, particularly folks who may be from marginalized backgrounds. So they're a useful tool in in disseminating information and and entertainment. And another thing about comics, something that I've been told in the past about why folks might not read comics is almost always the expression is, I just never got into them. And I think that that's, that's valid. I certainly don't want to discount people's lived experience. I think as people tend to be referring to superhero comics. For one thing, those are ongoing serials. And I am not throwing shade at superhero comics. I enjoy some of them quite a bit. But for one thing, as I just mentioned, they're ongoing serials. So those can be difficult to get into. Whereas there are, for lack of a better term, one offs. There are comics that you can, comics are carried in. Tone, subject matter, what have you, in any way you can imagine though, a comic exists. And I do, I, I genuinely believe that a comic, there's a comic for everyone out there. I also think that the definition of comics is, is just very narrow. I think we tend to think of comics as a book or probably in the last 20 years as a webcomic, but comics can, can take many different forms. I had a professor, Justin Hall, he described, uh, actually this is not a great quote, but I'll paraphrase here, that a text image combination could be considered a comic. For example, like the Bayou Tapestry from the Norman Conquest. This technique, by by certain definitions, that's a comic. That was a very effective way to disseminate information. Granted, I guess you have to be right in front of the, the tapestry, but like, if you apply that, that school of thought to modern ways of disseminating and and distributing texts, comics could be very widely available to audiences. So as far as how Adam and I started working on this, I'll pass it back to Adam. Adam, I'm putting you on the spot. Great. Um,
3: Yeah, I wanted to just say that comics are a medium of expression, like the novel or like a play or anything. And so I think the, the confusion Most folks have when I say, oh, I'm making comics, and they assume our book, Going Remote, will be funny. Now, there are funny parts, but it's like, you don't assume a novel is gonna be funny by its nature. It's just a medium of expression. I didn't come up with this. This is Scott McCloud, who wrote a book called Understanding Comics, as a comic. And the medium of comics, again, every type of medium, if you're playing rock and roll, there's certain things you can do that you can't do in classical music or in theater. Comics can do some things you can't do in text, and so why I gravitated to writing comics and with Pete, because he and I really riff. Like we, I just mentioned, rock and roll, we really jam together really smoothly, which is is wonderful when that happens. Why I gravitated to comics is not just that it is, as Pete said, more accessible to more readers, which is why it tends to get banned, which we'll get into in a minute. But as a writer, it's very exciting. It permits me the opportunity to not just use text, but to use visuals to express certain states of being. So, for example, in the chapter of Going Remote, the original one that you'll be able to find online, Going Remote, Flattening the Curriculum, that was the original one, I'm trying to express what is it like to go from being on ground to Online immediately. Now, I can just draw myself in my teaching bunker, which is my garage that my wife, who is a public school teacher, we set up within a weekend, right when COVID happened. I could show you that literally, and in the book I do, but in this initial chapter, I'm thinking about well, what is a visual that would really hit people emotionally and help them see it? So I conceived of Cloud College. And I said, oh, we've all migrated or been sort of teleported from our on-ground experience to this sort of cloud reality. And so that's what I threw to Pete. I'm like, I want you to illustrate a cloud college. So I throw that to Pete, and I cut it some vague ideas. And then Pete comes back and draws this sort of city that's sitting atop a hill. And then within that, you see all these Zoom tiles that kind of look almost (laughs) sarcophagal, flying into it. But then beneath that, and this was, this was key to the argument of the whole book and of this particular chapter, is there are some people that are on ground that can't reach up there. They don't have any access. So what you can do with comics really successfully is to take a large, complicated theoretical concept that might take a lot of language and might people might fill a barrier there, and you can distill it into one powerful image. And so... In the book, Going Remote, Pete and I really tried to leverage all of the potential that comics has for depicting not just physical spaces, but especially emotional spaces or conceptual spaces.
1: Yeah, and Pete, you do that really well, especially in the Flattening the Curriculum, which we'll link at ProjectCensored.org. It's also at Truthout. You have this amazing image of, by now, people are unfortunately all too familiar, likely, with the Zoom experience one way or the other, but in education, what's remarkably disconnected, and maybe you can talk about how you rendered this and Adam talk about the literal feeling of going through this, you've got the Hollywood squares, you've got this Hollywood squares of blank screens and it says even when the students are, quote, here, they all feel still remote. Many of the students turn off their cameras or say they don't have a working one. And again, these are equity issues. This opens up another entire can of worms in education. A little black box represents a real live student. Flattened, blackened out mute. And then there is a picture in the corner of you, Adam Bessie, saying, is anyone here? This large, looming rhetorical question definitely goes way outside the Hollywood squares and the boxes on Zoom and even out into the world. Can you talk a little bit about that image? Uh, talk a little bit about the rendering of this.
2: Yeah, well I think this actually it's interesting that the way I'm thinking of of this is actually in terms of something that I'd like to reference from the chapter 2 of Going Remote is that Adam has referred to the classroom as having an electric feel like when it's going really well there's a crackle or a pop. A crackle I've, it's kind of an homage to Jack Kirby's, Kirby Crackle's classic comic thing. And so it, just that energy is kind of missing from a Zoom classroom experience. And I think Adam could speak to this more than than I could as, as a teacher. But I think just like the isolation and claustrophobia of of being in a, in a Zoom environment, even though you're physically in your home where you should Feel comfortable, I hope. But some folks, it is still like a, a profoundly alienating experience. And Adam, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass to you. You
3: mentioned this idea of the Kirby crackle, and Jack Kirby is like the hero of the Marvel universe. Most of the things you see in Marvel now were invented by him a long time ago. And there's this thing you see in all his comics, where there's this sort of energy bubbles. And I was trying to think about you know, a classroom actually is like a very boring thing to draw, which P's can attest to. So I was like, how do we make this dynamic? And the dynamism of the classroom is not anything you really see. It's this exchange of energy and ideas that's really powerful. And anyone that's taught and had a great class knows this feeling that just courses through your body where this student's talking, the other student jumps onto them, you as the teacher jump on. And there's this thing that this energy that flows through all of the class and you all leave that class, or at least hopefully, feeling energized and transformed and that you had a moment together and you produce something together that even the teacher shouldn't expect. For me, when I've had a great class, it ends in a way that I learned something new out of that enterprise. That's what it means to be a critical educator, by the way, in this book to get into education speak is a work of like Freirean, that's Paulo Freire. And it's a work of thinking about the classroom as a space of critical thinking and problem solving and not just memorization or what Freire calls the banking model of education. And in a great classroom, you create this conversation or this energy. And in my case, teaching a graphic novels class or a composition class, or as I was this semester of the pandemic happened in science fiction class, we're talking about what do these stories mean to us? And that crackle or that energy, again, we had to depict it. And so in one scene, you see sort of the energy flowing throughout the whole class. And back to that image, Mickey, that you mentioned, comparing that to Zoom, where there are these blacked out things, the energy is not there. It's short-circuited it doesn't exist. Now you might be, you know, listening to this now where we are supposedly through the pandemic. We'll get in, more into that in a minute. Cause again, a lot of students are still online in college. We have massive enrollment problems, but for the most part, zoom is not happening. You might ask, well, why would this book still be relevant? Why is this meditation still relevant? Well, some of the, this black box screen stuff, that's not just about Zoom. That was pre-existing Zoom. There are ways of teaching that mime what happens on Zoom. Classrooms in which the professor stands in the front and provides a litany of information and everyone writes it down. There's no energy in that space, usually unless the professor is just a profoundly exciting lecture, but I can't imagine energy without discourse and exchange. And so, The relevance is, yes, we may have exited the Zoom era from many classrooms, but we can learn from that moment to think about how do we make sure that our classroom spaces, our educational spaces are filled with life and not flattened and deadened.
1: Well, Adam Bessie, we're going to get into that conversation because we're going to talk about more things around the educational system the existential crisis, as it were, that involves so many things from school shootings, censorship, COVID. You and I talk a lot about the so-called technopoly and tayloristic management in education, and that's been exacerbated in many ways with Going Remote. We're also going to bring in your narrative, and we'll talk more about censorship of comics. Eventually, we're going to get around to talking about the film that's playing as well, because that Dovetails with the other part of the memoir component of going remote, and that is your battle, ongoing battle with cancer. So we will continue that conversation here. I just want to remind our listeners you're tuned to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host Mickey Huff. We're speaking with author Adam Bessie, illustrator Pete Glanting. Their book will be out early next year. It's called "Going Remote: A Teacher's Journey," a piece of graphic journalism from the Censored Press and Seven Stories Press. We'll continue the conversation after this brief break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. On today's program, we're going remote with a teacher's journey. We're speaking with author and English professor Adam Bessie, as well as illustrator Pete Glanting. The two joined forces yet again to put together a book-length graphic journalism work called Growing Remote, a teacher's journey. that will be out early next year. There are sneak peeks of it available online. They'll be linked to the website here at projectcensored.org at our radio page, and our guests will also share websites where you can learn more about their work. Before the break, Adam Bessie, Pete Glanding, we were bouncing back and forth between education, between comics. Also, without using this phrase, we're really talking about the power of storytelling in many ways, and comics are such a powerful way to tell stories, and I know, Adam, you teach courses around comics. Pete, you live comics, you you kind of breathe comics and and illustrations, and you've done fabulous work for us. By the way, Pete Glanting is also illustrator of another Censored Press forthcoming book this fall, this October, called The Media and Me, which is a, a critical media literacy book for young people. More on that later. But let's get into the weeds a little bit about education, Adam, and I know we also want to bring in the memoir component. But before we leave education, One of the themes is not just in the flattening the curriculum piece, but just throughout the book, Going Remote, is the sort of neoliberal corporatization of higher education, really a movement away from critical pedagogy and Paulo Freire. So in many ways, it's very refreshing to read this prose and see these illustrations because they really do kind of embody what comes to life. If you talked about how you're in a classroom, and there's this energy and a different way of transferring information that just falls literally flat in digital spaces. But it's also the case that administrators in the schools love the Tayloristic management style of student learning outcomes and going through all the flat programs and you've got to fill out this, 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 this. I mean, we spend much more of our time administrating tech programs and graphs and, and different things, it seems, and in meetings talking about it than we do actually in the classroom which is really the real existential crisis in education. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that, Adam Bessie.
3: Thank you so much for that very large question. And I would say that this book is about studying what are the trend lines that are in education and how is COVID play a part of that? And I think one of the misunderstandings is, oh, COVID's starting all these challenges that we're having. Like, for example, in the community college, One of the most serious existential crises is the enrollment decline, which in California and across the nation has been profound. And there are profound implications to that, one of which is mass layoffs for contingent or adjunct faculty, funding issues. And then when I'm on campus and I have started to teach hybrid in the spring, the campus maybe has one fifth of the amount of people there in, in that space. So these many differences that have to do with COVID, but also have to do with other larger trends. One of those trends that Mickey just brought up is administrative or power that is remote from the classroom. So one of the ideas that it's at the forefront of our book, Going Remote, one of the main arguments, and the book is memoir and argument and research and a bunch of things stewed together at once. But one of the main arguments is the locus of power should be from the students outward. There's a famous educator, math educator, Bob Moses, who was also a legendary civil rights figure as well. And he coined the phrase, the students are the power in the classroom. The students are the power in the classroom. That is where everything comes from. Anyone that's been a teacher or been in a great classroom knows, yeah, the teacher needs to set up that context and have energy, but the class thrives or dies based on that energy of the people in that space with you. And that's really, to me, when I think about the power in the classroom, it should come from the grass roots up. And since I've been teaching, I started teaching in 2002, uh, high school, at the, the dawn of No Child Left Behind. And then... Upon teaching community college, many of the same philosophies sort of migrated to community college. And underneath a lot of these technocratic philosophies are a top down management style where the power of the classroom resides at the federal level, at the state level, and not at the classroom level. At the administrative level, not the classroom level. That's not to say there isn't a role for all these different levels in the hierarchy, but Ultimately, a transformative education for students, for teachers, for a community emerges from the needs of that community. And so COVID really, to me, has exacerbated the administrative power quite a bit. And, and this can be manifest in many ways. But for example, in the enrollment decline, there's, there's a great fear, which is substantiated, that we'll continue to lose students. Now, why are we losing students? There are many reasons for that, one of which, the economy. Students need to work. You know, community college students are working people primarily. They need to work. There are many other concerns they might have. And so faculty and students, we have a lot of ideas of how to improve enrollment. However, a lot of the ideas being proffered at administrative levels and higher is not to draw on that power of the classroom and the power of the people that are working on the front lines, but to move to sort of MBA style thinking, things like predictive analytics, just focusing on the use of data and sort of business style forms of thought to solve the problem. So the goal of this book to loop back, I don't talk directly in the book so much about the administrative component, but it's implied within the content that at the end of the day, the purpose of community college and the public educational system is for the students and for the community. And if that is the case, then that's really where the power should reside. And how do we work in this moment, students, family members, teachers, classified to take that power and make sure that it's serving those purposes, especially in a moment when so, so many of our students are really profoundly suffering economically and otherwise.
1: Well, we probably don't then go to another deans and chairs meeting, but there's an increase in the kind of administrative work that faculty are being asked to do. Of course, we haven't even opened up the huge can of worms of the adjunctification of uh, higher ed. And it's not just our students on the front lines that are experiencing the many challenges going on that you both write about and you illustrate about so powerfully and going remote. But a lot of this is going to come back and be balanced. This lower enrollment, it comes out in real people's lives and adjunct faculty. And so there are so many things that are going on in higher education that are not really it's sort of flattening the whole experience in a lot of ways and I know as a faculty member Adam you see all that behind the scenes but I think that's really part of the existential crisis not only do we have an enrollment crisis where students are asking what a college education actually does for them but we're seeing an entire generation of people questioning whether or not they should become educators And there's an extraordinary degree of abuse being heaped upon teachers with the mass school shootings, efforts to censor teachers. Somehow teachers are are not able to decide what they're supposed to teach in terms of expert content. They need to have parents and activists telling them what they're not allowed to teach and ban books for the classroom. But we're supposed to simultaneously arm and train teachers to execute active shooters, We're getting really far afield here from John Dewey and uh, Horace Mann and the whole purpose of the classroom of solving societal problems. Or wait, are we getting so literally into them that now teachers have been literally asked to solve every societal problem? Adam Bessie.
3: Thank you for that. And I want to mention another part of the book. This book so far might seem going remote, A Teacher's Journey, that it's conceptual, but it really is grounded my subjective experience. And I want to connect to what you just said about sort of solving every problem. I decided with Pete that this book would serve better as a memoir than as just a full argument. It's not a comprehensive view of here are all the answers. Ultimately, each and every teacher has their own individual story and their own experience, and I thought by giving mine, it would also encourage other teachers to discuss. Coming back to this, the teacher is sort of serving every role. During the pandemic, I found... As a teacher, you have to put on many hats. That's part of your job. You don't just go into the classroom and teach. It may look like that, but it's not. You often are thrown into the role of being a counselor, dealing with tech issues, dealing, going to meetings, all kinds of things that are part of the job, but not a big part. But during the pandemic, some elements of the job got much bigger. One of them for me in particular was that of working with students in crisis. And in the book, I have a whole chapter about how I joined something called the Campus Care Team, which is the crisis team on campus. And this team has administrators and has counselors. And we work with students that have financial issues, housing issues, homelessness, domestic violence, all that. I'm just a faculty rep. And I got invited onto that team because I was filing so many reports during the fall of 2021, fall of 2020 like for two years, just so many reports, but students disclosing to me all the pain and suffering they were going through. And I tried my best to be there for them, even though I'm not a social worker. I'm an English professor. I'm trained in Kafka's metamorphosis or invisible man. I'm not trained in social work methods, but during the pandemic, it's like all of us were pushed into that role of being the tech expert, being the social worker and all of that. And so Part of this work in focusing on these larger conceptual issues that are maybe abstract, but also these very personal ones, is that this new era of education has ushered in a lot more gravity and weight pulling on individual teachers. As Mickey mentioned earlier, uh, many teachers have been giving much more administrative tasks thinking that we could administer our way out of these challenges. Also, they're giving much more, each student is arriving with many more challenges and complexities. And so the weight of every individual class has really increased a lot. And by showing my own story, which again is not representative, the goal is let's have a real conversation about how to reform the classroom to really support teachers and students and not burn them out.
1: Well, Adam Bessie, let's bring in some of these other human elements of that story. We have to take another break here. Like to remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Project Censored show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. We'll continue our conversation about going remote, a teacher's journey with Adam Bessie and Pete Glanting after this brief musical break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio. I'm your host, Mickey Huff. In the final segment today, we continue the conversation with Adam Bessey, English professor in San Francisco Bay Area who writes comics, which have been published in many national outlets, including The New Yorker, The Atlantic, Boston Globe, and Truthout. He is author of the graphic memoir, Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey, which will be out very early next year. Adam also appears in the BBC Scotland documentary, Long Live My Happy Head, which will be appearing at the San Francisco Frameline film festival june 19th in the san francisco bay area we're going to talk about that this segment we're also joined by pete glanting an illustrator and product designer pete is the illustrator of going remote a teacher's journey also illustrator for the media and me a critical media literacy book for young people that'll actually be out in october from the censored press and seven stories press Adam Bessie, before the break, we started to segue and we want to get into some of the other personal elements, the memoir elements that actually are woven in to the story here of Going Remote. Again, the book Going Remote, it's a work of comics, but it weaves together
3: different genres. We have sort of science fiction in there. We have academic argument. And then the memoir is really critical. The memoir portion is my journey with living with brain cancer, which I have for the last 13 years. And so I have been on a journey with that, having brain surgery, which is discussed in the book, being on chemotherapy. And in fact, the book starts with me just coming back from a semester, having experienced chemotherapy, and I'm a long-term survivor of cancer. I'm glad I'm on the Project Censored show to discuss this. This book, in a way, is uncensored. Cancer stories are not censored, but they're often told in a way that is dehumanizing to the cancer patient. I'm speaking for myself as a, a man with cancer. The primary work when people think of men with cancer is Lance Armstrong's book, and his version of cancer is this sort of outmanning of cancer. And I've written previously on this, this same sort of metaphor of the warrior metaphor of fighting cancer, you're going to fight it and beat it. And if you die or get sick, it's because you weren't strong enough. That applies to everyone. And a lot of us that deal with cancer struggle under the weight of that expectation. And what I wanted to do by incorporating that story is to provide as honest a way as possible of recording this journey, which was happening in parallel with the journey of teaching through this, this upheaval professionally and personally all at the same time. And one might ask, well, how do they relate? Well, for each of us, we're all intersectional. Each of us went into the pandemic as teachers in that role, but we also had many other roles that we were living with simultaneously. And for me, I was a professor and that role got upended by the pandemic, or I am a professor. I'm a parent of a child who's in the book and had to deal like with many parents, the pandemic with that. I'm a partner. And I'm also a patient, and I wanted this book to really capture, as well as I was able to, all those roles coexisting at once, which is the reality of every teacher. We want to reduce teachers and students to this unidimensional thing, a thing, not a person. And my goal was, by broadening out and opening up with this, to uncensor myself, and it was difficult personally to do this. Uncensor this part of myself and be open with my reader and say here are all the dimensions. My hope was that other cancer survivors would feel seen with that. And also it would make the reader think about all the dimensions every teacher or person working in education has and maybe extend a bit more empathy. And along those lines, related to my cancer experience, I was honored to be featured in a BBC Scotland documentary, Long Live My Happy head which doesn't feature me. It features a wonderful man who's now my friend named Gordon Shaw, who's a comics artist who uses comics to explore his own brain tumor and his experience. And it also explores his relationship as a gay man. And speaking of censorship, the LGBTQ community has been massively under threat. Massively under threat. And this film goes a long way to destigmatize both a loving relationship between two men and cancer simultaneously. And it's just an awesome film. I'm only in it very briefly, but I was honored to see the whole film and experience it. And if you would like to, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, you can go to the Roxy Theater, famous theater on June 19th, 11 to 1247 PM. Wow, that's very specific. Or you can stream it anywhere in the world that you're listening on June 24th. And you go to the Frameline Film Festival, which is the biggest LGBTQ film festival in the world, and you can find tickets and check that out. And I know you might be like, oh, that sounds really heavy and scary, just like you might hear about my book. And I'm writing about cancer. It's heavy and it's scary. But both of our works are hopeful. They're about doing what you love, even in the face of whatever happens.
1: And Adam Bessie, we have a clip to share so we can play that right now.
3: I just started wearing hats. So I've started to go bald, and then I have like the scar, and I just said, forget it. Like I used to have like long, luscious hair.
2: I was really? very proud of it. I was told a hat to protect it
0: after the radiotherapy or the chemotherapy.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I was just protecting my ego. Really? <laughs> you know, when I was diagnosed, I didn't know anyone with cancer. I didn't. None of my friends or mates knew anything about it. I knew no one with serious illness. There are no books I could find for young men, except for Lance Armstrong's book. And that model didn't work for me to like outman cancer. I was like, that's not for me. And so I said, I need to write things that I would have wanted to have read in that position. Because I, I thought for me, there was no life. I would never be able to get married, to have a profession or do anything. And it's been a journey to learn, but I think the journey would have been much, much shorter had early on somebody given me a book like this. Because I had to learn many of these tools on my own. Yeah,
0: yeah. And if
3: earlier on I'd known, oh, he was diagnosed at two years that he was going to live, and here he is at five, and he's he made a comic, like he drew this, like just knowing this existed would have decreased my
1: stress immeasurably. So that's a clip from "Long Live My Happy Head." You heard Adam Bessie talk about that's part of the Frame Line Film Festival. Pete Glanting, let's bring you back in to talk about what your experience is working with Adam, illustrating this extraordinary personal process and journey. So I think that there are really two things to consider. One of them, Adam mentioned about
2: comics having this incredible ability to depict not just a physical state, but an emotional state. I think that that was something that we worked really closely to translate. I think that we weren't just trying to depict the physical state at any given moment, which we did at times, but we were also trying to depict the emotional state, the truth of the story rather than the facts of the story. The other thing to consider is getting the story from one human's experience to the pen of another human. I love working with Adam because he's... Aside from very articulate, very open to changing what a story might be. So we might start with something thing, and it might turn into something completely different. I'm sure you've heard this. It's a, a tale as old as time when collaborators get together. And I, that's no different here. The difference being that it's really a pleasant experience.
1: Please tell people where they can see your work so they can put a visual to the style that I'm referring to.
2: Glantingdraws.com. That's Peter, my name, first name Peter, last name Glanting, G-L-A-N-T-I-N-G, draws.com.
1: It's a very unique style, and it complements the storytelling. It's such a rich component of the words and experiences that Adam is also writing down, but you're also making them come to life. Interestingly, the one chapter that you all started on, on flattening the curriculum, your work together is the opposite of flattening. You're really able to to make this a, a a multi-dimensional experience, your work together Pete, with Adam. And I think it's an extraordinary thing to see. And it's again a testament to the power of the medium. I do just want to tack on briefly. This is Pride Month, June. And Adam just mentioned the film festival and some of the characters in, in the film. It's also the case that there's been an extraordinary uptick of censorship and book challenges, many of them challenges. At the K twelve level, the graphic books, graphic novels, and experiences. Adam, you talked earlier about the censored or underheard components of cancer victims, and then the way they're often depicted in media. Here's another way in which the power of comics, like Maya Kababe's Gender Queer, which is one of the most challenged books in the country right now, Noah Grinshi, an illustrator, also experiencing these challenges. I had the honor of hosting a panel with them not long ago, talking about these things. And I want to use that as a way to wrap up our conversation about the power of the medium, the power of your relationship, Adam and Pete, the power of the way you both work together as educators. You're both working together as storytellers. And you're both really trying to tell stories that are not, they're not easy to tell. They're complicated, but they're also very truthful. Pete, I liked when you talked about not just the factual, but the truth. And that really comes through in the writing, in the illustrations, in the final product that you all put together. We're talking right now about going remote to teacher journey out early next year. We'll certainly be revisiting this and be doing some events and other workshops around it in the fall. But for the last words here today, Pete Glanting, your final thoughts on the power of the medium and the power of working together in this way.
2: I think that comics have an incredible power to, if not entertain, communicate text and image are quite a combination. I hope that we've really humanized this and told a story that maybe wouldn't have been told in just text or or just on TV or one of those mediums.
1: It's an extraordinary telling, and we'll have a link at the Project Censored show of a couple of the pieces that you've already had a sneak peek of so people can see what it is we're talking about. And Adam Bessie, final thoughts from you on the power of this medium, the power of this journey.
3: The book for me really got me through one of the hardest parts of the pandemic, just making the book. And and comics were a major part of that. And that Pete and our conversation and creating something of value out of suffering, that to me is is what it's all about. And my hope is that with Going Remote, that people read the book and they get some kind of comfort from it and inspiration as well as it gave to Pete and I. You never know what's gonna happen with the work when you put it of the world. But I do know that for me, it it played an important function in telling these stories that I sometimes censored even from myself and being honest about them, that it was very clarifying and therapeutic. My hope is, again, through this work, other readers hopefully see confirmation, especially teachers and students, of things they experience. And it inspires them to tell their own story and maybe through comics so they can have that experience
1: you know we've covered a lot of ground here today gentlemen you know we we've we've touched on the challenges of an, an education challenges facing teachers and students as well as others in educational settings we've talked about the power of collaboration memoir we've brought in issues of, of health we've discussed all this through the lens of the pandemic really difficult to traverse such territory in in an hour but i want to thank you both for doing an extraordinary job of doing that and, and threading narratives throughout I'd like to encourage our listeners to check out the website at projectcensored.org and see links to some of the excerpts from the forthcoming book that we've been talking about. Going Remote, A Teacher's Journey, will be out early next year on the Censored Press and Seven Stories Press in New York. Adam Bessie, another website, one more time, where people can find your writing and work.
3: Adam Bessie, B E S S I E dot com. You can find me there, and then I'm on Instagram as well, just my name.
1: Thanks again so much for your time today. Gentlemen, another quick reminder that the documentary that Adam Bessie appears in, Long Live My Happy Head, will be appearing at the San Francisco Frameline Film Festival June 19th. Gentlemen, thanks again for joining us for the hour. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Mickey.
0: Human not free propaganda and politicians.
1: You've been listening to the Project Censored Show on Pacifica Radio, established in 2010 by myself and Peter Phillips. I'm Mickey Huff, the executive producer and host of the program. Anthony Fest is our longtime senior producer. Thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Stay well. We'll see you next time.
0: We thinkable time, stake the thinkable crimes perpetrated by the criminal minds with political ties, virtualized alibis, disguise, another guise of democracy, politics, and the apocalypse, got the skies like an ominous. So the ocean burn bright with waves full of poison, genocide wars, fall for little poison, the weapons manufactured paid for wide tax all the bridges and the levies and the mines collapsing All the prisons build the capacity citizens and the times for the master thief can find conquer steal the masterpiece Open your eyes and realize what's happening Times running out to reach all potential If at the table then you're probably on the menu. We got that love. The crowd that this pumping rhythm is hitting. we wanna make it clear We ain't scared, this is the vision we want We got the love uplift our brothers and our sisters The people together can overthrow the system We got the love uplift our brothers